trading season is... <clears throat> Trading season is in full swing, and we'll talk about trading in the big leagues and our leagues with Steve Gardner, Senior Fantasy Editor at USA Today and usatoday.com, next on Baseball HQ Radio. by Downing. Swinging. There's a drive into left center field. That ball is going to be out of here. It's gone. It's 7-15. There's a new home run champion of all time, and it's Henry Aaron. The fireworks are going. Here's the pitch on the way. A swing and a foul. Left field. Way back. Blue Jays win it. The Blue Jays are Learn to play the winner's way, because Baseball HQ Radio starts right now. And here's your host, from BaseballHQ.com, columnist Patrick Davitt. And welcome to Baseball HQ Radio for the week of July the 28th. It's show number 28 of the 2012 Fantasy Baseball season. I'm Patrick Davitt, your host, and in addition to Steve Gardner, the Senior Fantasy Editor at USA Today and usatoday.com, we'll have our regular contributors from BaseballHQ.com, the best fantasy baseball website in the business. Our National League Analyst is Harold Nichols. Our American League Analyst is columnist Matt Beagle, also our Market Pulse commentator this week. In our regular Minor League Minute, Rob Gordon looks at Pittsburgh outfield prospect Gregory Polanco. And in his Master Notes, BaseballHQ.com publisher Ron Chandler talks about an alternative to no-trade leagues. It's another big show. Thanks for joining us here at Baseball HQ Radio. Hey, what do you say? The Olympics are underway. But I don't see any bats or gloves. Well, to heck with them. We want to talk some baseball. Before we start the show, I want to say I really do enjoy the Olympics, but gosh, they have guys walking funny for 50 kilometers at a time, dancing horses, undersized girls twirling ribbons, and men doing Esther Williams routines in the swimming pool. But no baseball? Nice international festival of sport they got going on, isn't it? In the first inning of our show, our League Watch News reports, Matt Beagle is on deck with players from the American League, but leading off, it's the National League report. And our old friend, the Director of Skills Analysis at BaseballHQ.com, it's Harold Nichols. Nick, welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. Thanks a lot, Patrick. Good to be here. Now, I, we should warn everybody who's listening, we're not going to be talking about trades that have taken place in the National League because Steve Gardner of USA Today and USAToday.com will be our feature guest a little later on. And there's plenty of other stuff going on in the National League to talk about, starting with the auspicious debut of Starling Marte, the outfielder in Pittsburgh. Home run on his first pitch. I mean, you know, what... what? What what better can you do in the major leagues than a home run in your first pitch? Well, if you're Daniel Nava, you could hit a grand slam home run on your first pitch. Well, that's true. That's true. But if there's nobody on base and you're the first batter, then you know. But... <laughs> it's as good as he could do. That's for sure. Yeah. Anyway, Starling Marte uh, up with Pittsburgh, and and this is a this is a real talent. I mean, here's a guy that uh, was batting two ninety eight with uh, with twelve homers and twenty one stolen bases at uh, uh, at AAA Indianapolis. Uh, here, he can he can really do it all. He's got great speed. 
He's got good power, uh, should hit for average. Uh, this is a guy who should do very, very well in the majors. So if he's available on your waiver wire, certainly someone you want to consider uh, consider picking up. Yeah, he was around 300 at Indianapolis, but he doesn't uh, have much of an eye ratio. It's about uh, 0.24, which is, what, four strikeouts for every walk. Uh, that That's going to be something he could be in danger of being exploited by big league pitchers. Yeah, very definitely. There's something, there's something to that. You know, the thing that I look at, that I always look at on our site, that I really, really appreciate – is the rating that that our uh, our minor league analysts give these guys when they come up because they'll give you an idea of whether you've got somebody who's who's really really top notch, who's just very solid, or who's somewhat less than that, and also give you an idea of his potential. How likely is he to reach to reach that that potential? Uh, Marty Marty is rated an eight A, which means he's uh, likely a very solid starter, uh, very likely to reach his potential. Uh, certainly, a very solid kind of guy to hang around to have around. Uh, but maybe not necessarily one of the top guys in baseball in five years. I once talked about the system with Derek McCamey, who's the former head of the BaseballHQ.com scouting department and is now working in the major leagues in scouting. And I asked him, you know, if if a guy is an 8A, meaning he's a solid regular who's almost certain to be that, is he also a 9B? That is, does he have a somewhat lesser chance of being an all-star? And he said, that's not how the system is set up, but it's a reasonable inference to draw. That is, he's got enough talent to be a really good, performing, solid, everyday player. And from that, you can infer that if he kind of grows his skills a bit as he matures and grows into his body, there's an, a chance that he could be something a little better. Right, right, very definitely. And the and the the alternate is also true. If he were an 8E, which is a, reg, a solid regular but with a very low chance of reaching that potential, then you'd really want to slide down the scale to see what you could legitimately expect. Uh, another guy with an auspicious debut, Nick, Matt Harvey. This is a guy that everybody was waiting for at the New York Mets. Could he do it? Yes, he could. He could indeed. Struck out 11 in his debut. I mean, a, a, a fantastic debut for Matt Harvey. Now, here's a guy who's rating as a 9D. Uh but but certainly has all the pitches, uh, all of the uh, everything you expect for a number one starter, which of course is what you're looking at as these guys come up. If you can pick up a number one starter uh, really really early, especially in a keeper league, you've got something. Uh, the D rating means that the, that the uh, the possibility of getting to that potential is not as high as it is with Starling Marte, for example. Um, the thing with Harvey, the thing that has held him back so far has been his his a release point that is fairly inconsistent. Uh, so some command issues. Uh, he seems to have made some progress with that this year. And so if he can make the adjustments, uh, this is a guy who could become a true number one pitcher in the majors. He could. Uh, I think a little bit of mechanical issues. He's a big dude, uh, throws real hard, and sometimes those guys take a little while to figure out how to get total command of their pitches. But Matt Harvey, a real interesting guy, is going to be on a lot of waiver wires this week. And other pitchers on waiver wires as we come into that real hard stretch uh, in the last two months of the season. And I'm wondering how, what you think of some of these guys in a National League league. Ben Sheets of Atlanta, two good starts. Oh, Ben Sheets has two tremendous starts. And here's a guy that we know, we know Ben Sheets has talent. I mean, there's no question about that. Every time he's been in the major leagues, Ben Sheets has pitched well. Now, the, we go back to that, what I just said, every time he's been in the major leagues or for the amount of time he's been in the major leagues. Here's a guy with an injury history that is uh, is just off the charts. And what you know about Ben Sheets for sure is that before long, he's going to get hurt. So I think the thing for me to consider as, as you think about picking Ben Sheets off the waiver wire is uh, what are you going to pay for a week or two weeks or maybe the rest of the season to Ben Sheets? Uh, that's the big question, and, and of course that can't be answered. 
Um, just I would not pay much for him, but uh, I sure would look at him if I could get him cheaply. Uh, he might be worth it for a week or two weeks or a month. Yeah, that's just it. At this point in the season, you're really gambling. I mean, you're taking a risk and hoping to catch lightning in a bottle, which is what you're often doing when you're playing waiver wire roulette or free agent pool roulette is – you know, how much fab do you, do, do you invest in a guy like Ben Sheets? Because, you know, if he carries on at the rate he started at, he's going to be a real valuable commodity. But at the same time, there's like this ticking noise in the background that suggests that, you know, at, at any point you could have, you could lose those uh, fab dollars because he just can't manage it anymore. Right, very definitely. You know, it's a, and especially if you come up on the trading deadline, it's a, it's a point where you may want to hang on to those fab dollars and see what else shakes out. Uh, before you spend them on bin sheets. Also in Atlanta, Tommy Hansen is uh, floating around on a lot of waiver wires. He's being dropped in a lot of leagues. Uh, his velocity is way down. Uh, Tommy Hansen's starting to look like a bit of a risk. Well, Tommy Hansen, you know, over the last month, a 6.49 ERA. So here's a guy that we know has uh, has elite pitcher talent. And, and in fact, over the last month, his, uh, his dom has actually been uh, extremely good, uh, eight, 9.3 over the last month. Still striking out a lot of guys. BPV is good. But the thing to be really worried about with, with Tommy Hansen, we know he ended last season with a rotator cuff tear, uh, that he was going to rehab, uh, treated with rehab instead of with surgery. Um, suddenly now we've got, uh, we've got a decrease in velocity. We've got an increase in walks. Uh, over a couple of starts now, the last uh, three or four starts, he's really, really struggled. Um, I would be scared of Tommy Hansen right now. Here's a guy that sooner or later is going to have to go under the knife, I suspect, to fix that rotator cuff. And uh, so uh, i even more scared of Tommy Hansen perhaps than Ben Sheets at the moment. Wow, that's really saying something. 11 walks in his last two starts is is not characteristic of how this guy pitches, so it definitely looks like something, again, if you want to take a chance, and it depends on your league context, of course, but Tommy Hansen definitely looks like a risk. Not so much Jamie Garcia in St. Louis, Nick. He's rehabbing from injuries, almost ready to come back, and this guy's a good young pitcher. He is indeed a very good young pitcher. You need to, uh, you know, Jamie Garcia probably got dropped in a lot of leagues uh, when he uh, had had some had injury problems earlier this season. But here's a guy who really does have a good future. Uh, he's a good pitcher and are just about ready to come back and probably really at this point well under the under the radar simply because he's been out for several months. So Jamie Garcia is a guy I would take a good long look at. He certainly could be a very useful addition as you head down the stretch. But the uh, caveat here, again, might be the injury. I mean, they say he's ready, he's going to come back and be ready to pitch, but they called it a shoulder impingement, and that doesn't sound too good, and he's missed a lot of time in the past. That's true. So that, that again, is something to be concerned about because this is a guy with uh, without a clean injury history, certainly. So you've got a pass to, a pass to look at. And finally, Rubby De La Rosa is returning from Tommy John surgery. And uh, Jock Thompson wrote about Rubby De La Rosa in his keeper column, I suspect maybe because he just likes saying Rubby. Maybe so, but I, Rubby De La Rosa is certainly someone to look at. In fact, we've been, you know, we've been mentioning Rubby De La Rosa since the beginning of the season as someone to keep an eye on because we expected him back. And right now it looks like he may be back in September. Uh, certainly not going to give you a lot this year. But if you're in a keeper league, here's a guy who's 23 years old, Tommy John surgery, last year a 3.71 ERA, a 3.58 expected ERA, uh, Dom around uh, around nine, striking out a batter per, per nine innings. Uh, and and that's in his first exposure to the major league. So as we look at what's down the road for a 23-year-old with that kind of talent, I think the guy you've got to think about is Jordan Zimmerman, 
who was a similar kind of under-the-radar injury, uh, TJ surgery risk a couple of years ago. Took him a year maybe to get his legs under him, but he's been spectacular this year. And I think Ruby De La Rosa could be a, uh, a twin of Jordan Zimmerman in, uh, in about two years from now. I guess a lot will depend on how his rehab went. We're going to find out from the Tommy John surgery. There's a misunderstanding or a misapprehension about the surgery, Nick, out there that is says that every pitcher who undergoes Tommy John surgery always comes out stronger, and that's not true. It, a lot of it depends on how the rehab went, how, how diligent he was in doing his physio, and these kind of things. And we should point out that even though he was knocking down nine guys per nine innings last year via the strikeout, he was also walking four and a half. And, and that uh, command ratio of strikeouts to walks is not ideal. No, it's not. And that's certainly an issue. That's where he needs to grow, as so many young pitchers do. He's got to get that, uh, that command uh, over, over 2.0, and, and we'd like to see it even higher than that if you're talking about a truly elite pitcher. So here's a guy who's got to work on his control, uh, but certainly a lot of potential. Absolutely. Nick, thanks for doing this. You're going to be watching the Olympics now for the next little while? Oh, very definitely. All right. No baseball to watch, though, sadly. I uh, know. Darn it. They, they need to get baseball in the Olympics, right? I think they're they're teaming up with softball to try to make a pitch to get back into the Olympic Games. And as I said in the opener of the show, Nick, uh, you know, you can't really call it an international festival of sport when you've got guys doing funny walk for 50 kilometers, but you don't have baseball, which is a very popular sport in a very wide segment of the world. Very definitely. I agree with you. Harold Nichols is the Director of Skills Analysis at BaseballHQ.com and our National League newsman here at Baseball HQ Radio. Now let's move on to the American League. It's BaseballHQ.com columnist Matt Beagle. Matt, welcome back to the show. Great part of the season, Patrick. Yeah, it is. And uh, also, we've been talking about the Olympics uh, up till now. Are you going to be watching any of the Olympic Games? I usually don't, actually. I'm still focused on baseball and maybe just a little bit of fantasy football prep, but mostly baseball for me. I don't really pay much attention to the Olympics. And um, it's quite a shame that they took baseball out of the Olympics. I've said, I said that in the opening and when Harold Nichols and I were talking, and I, I think it's a shame that they can't find room for a sport that's so popular throughout the Americas in uh, large parts of the Orient, and it's growing everywhere else. It's just a shame. Uh, now, uh, let's get started with your American League analysis this week, Matt. Uh, let's look at Billy Butler of Kansas City. This guy's been kind of a favorite semi-sleeper for a number of years and hasn't really ever got the job done, but this year it's looking like maybe this is the breakout. Well, the big question with Butler is would he develop power? And uh, we never had any evidence of it in his statistics. His power index was 121 as a rookie, which is pretty good. But then it slunk back to 103 in 2010. And it's been in the 112, 113 range the last two years. The big power spike this year is a result of a 23% home run per fly ball rate. His historical average has been about 10%. So this is over twice the normal uh, home run per fly ball rate. So you either can look at that and say, hey, this guy's really figured out how to drive the ball. Or I tend to be more grounded in the statistics saying this is more of an anomaly. And experts can disagree on this. Dave Adler I wrote a great piece on Butler this week in his Facts and Flukes column, and he argues that this is the breakthrough because for four months he's had a home run per fly ball of 19% or higher each month. This isn't a fluke. Uh, I look at a 29% fly ball rate, and that concerns me. Adler very appropriately points out that, hey, if this goes back to normal in the mid-30s and he keeps his home run for fly ball rate, there could be even more uh, home runs out there. He's walking plenty. He's hitting great line drives. Uh, I think Butler's a line drive hitter. I see his contact rate dropping the last three years. His walk rate has dropped a bit in 2012. 
So I'm not as sold on Bill Butler's new emerging power, but experts can disagree. And Dave Adler made a great point this week why he thinks Butler has emerged to a new level. I'm going to side with you on this one, Matt, and I'll tell you why. At 29% this year at fly balls, as you mentioned, that's not a lot of fly balls, which means that the home run per fly ball rate of 23% is based on a relatively, actually a really small sample. That's not a lot of fly balls to say that this guy has changed his approach or is now driving the ball farther or harder or anything like that. This, to me, seems more of an illusion than reality. We'll find out with the balance of the year and on into the future. But for now, I'm sticking with uh, your version of these events. Well, and in Dave's defenses, he's not here to defend himself. He's going to point out that he's already hit as many, if not more, homers this year than he did last year, and his career high is 21. So he's going to have an improved home run number with two more months to go in the season, whether we like it or not. So he is going to show home run growth uh, in his gross stats. But here, looking at his underlying skills as to a guy you may want to give up in a trade or build around, I think long-term he's more likely to regress more towards his previously established levels and be a 20-home run guy as opposed to duplicate the maybe 25-home run performance he could show uh, in 2012. You know what, if Billy Butler could, I think Billy Butler could easily hit 30 home runs by the end of the year, and he's projected at BaseballHQ.com to be around 30 or 31 by the end of the season. I think that could be the greatest news that any Billy Butler owner could have in keeper leagues, because that would make him just a perfect guy to trade for going into 2013, because it just doesn't seem like, for the reasons we've mentioned here already, that it's a sustainable gain in power, and uh, if he's got a 30 home run season under his belt, he's going to be much easier to deal uh, speaking of guys who are going to be uh, easier to deal coming out of nowhere, how about Fernando Rodney down in Tampa Bay with all these saves? Well, and this, I, I would say, supports Dave Adler's position is that, hey, this could be a new established norm. Butler is still very young, and now that he's got, you know, 1,600 at-bats, 2,000 at-bats under the major leagues, now he's making an adjustment. Here's Fernando Rodney who comes from out of nowhere. There is no one that would recommend him. He's never had a 2-to-1 strikeout-to-walk ratio, and in 2012, it's 8.6-to-1. He's striking out more batters. He's always been able to strike out batters, but he's striking out a batter in inning, basically. But his control, suddenly he's throwing the ball over the plate. I don't know if it was Kevin Hickey or Joe Madden or whoever told him to, but he's only walking one guy per nine innings compared to almost eight in 2011 and a norm of about five on average most of his career. So here's a guy who suddenly has learned to throw strikes at the very end of his career here and has went from an also-ran that no one wanted to touch to one of the top closers in the game. Uh, It's very unusual and just shows us that we can look at numbers, but sometimes things happen outside those numbers that we really cannot predict. That's exactly right, and boy, no no number jumps out more to me than the 249 expected ERA. I mean, he's under one for a real ERA, and that that doesn't seem sustainable because of the outside factors, uh, the strand rate and hit rate and so forth. But his expected ERA five years ago was 426, and it's gone up to 430, 454, 480 in the last four years. Then all of a sudden, it basically falls in half, and it's totally because of this improvement in, in control. And the question is, Matt, uh, do you think that this is a sustainable change? There's no way numerically you can say this is sustainable. Uh, Obviously, 0.82, as you mentioned, is not going to be a sustainable ERA. But uh, I just cannot believe that he's suddenly found the magic potion and is not going to run into some difficulties down the road. 
That being said, this is why we play the game. We all feel great on draft day, and there is a lot of luck involved, and you have to recognize that and not get down with that. I wouldn't go out and acquire Fernando Rodney if I picked him up. Hey, I've rode him hard. Uh, He's a great guy to trade high on because, on average, you'd have to expect his performance to uh, wane here the rest of the season. It may not happen, but all we can do is put ourselves in position to get the most lucky breaks because we've analyzed the statistics to find the guys who are most likely to uh, return to their normal levels. Talking of guys in the bullpen, the Minnesota Twins have had nothing but bad luck this year with Matt Caps and the various other people they've trundled out there trying to find somebody to close out games. And all of a sudden, here comes Jared Burton, a guy with very limited experience in the, in the major leagues. And he's actually looked very good. He's got a base performance value over 100, which is elite level, and looks like he's getting the job done. i got to ask you a third time, is this sustainable? Now, here's a guy, Patrick, who has shown skills in the past and has fought injuries. Uh, back in 2008, he had a 3.22 ERA, uh, not fully supported by his expected ERA, but still, here's a good pitcher. He struck out more than almost a batter per nine innings, had some control issues, walked 3.8 batters, but still 2.3 to one strikeout to walk ratio. He struggled in 2009, just a two to one as his strikeout rate fell. So here's a guy though who did have those skills in 2008, who's proven he can be a good pitcher, who is now harnessing again. The secret to his success here, walking less batters. 2.3 walks per nine innings. He's striking out 8.2, so he's got a three and a half to one strikeout to walk ratio. So here's a guy who's finally healthy, has learned from rehabbing, learned from his past experiences, and I would much rather have Jared Burton pitching in target field than Fernando Rodney uh, pitching in the AL East through the rest of the season. Also in 2012, it's interesting that he pretty much reversed his ground ball fly ball. He's now up near 50% ground balls, which is always good, even though target field's a big yard. You like to see those ground balls combined with strikeouts. Yes, me too, And I, but I still think his ERA will rise a little bit. He's got a very low 24% hit rate, so he has had some good fortune to go with his skills, and sometimes that good fortune gives you the confidence to challenge the hitters as opposed to nibbling around the corners, and when you've got an arm like Burton does, that means success. And his hit rate is low, especially for ground ballers who generally are a point or two higher than fly ballers because of the ground ball sneaking through. Matt, over in Anaheim, C.J. Wilson was probably the second most ballyhooed pickup after uh, Albert Pujols, and C.J. Wilson has been inconsistent, I guess is the nicest thing we could say. Well, ZRA's 282 has been fantastic, but anybody who's watched him and has him on a team uh, knows that he's been very much up and down, as you mentioned. His expected ERA is 380. He's been very high on Wilson, but we've seen his control problems resurface here in 2012, walking more than four batters per nine innings. And at that rate, you've got to strike out almost a batter an inning to be effective, and Wilson is not, with a strikeout rate of 7.4 a reduction of about one batter per nine innings from 2011. He's also been very lucky with his 26% hit rate and 77% strand. So uh, there's a lot of things, a lot of concern here. Uh, He's gotten more ground balls. is the only good thing Wilson has done. But for someone who was a reliever, now a starter for the last several years, you have to start to wonder if that's wearing on his arm a little bit. Yeah, I wonder that too. Whenever I see him out there, and the the expected ERA, which as longtime listeners of Baseball HQ Radio will know, is a, a composite measure based on how many strikeouts, how many walks, how many ground balls, and so forth, home runs, and, and we figure out this is what this guy's ERA should be, and when it's a, a full run higher than it is, 
while we're not guaranteeing that it's going to change, especially with just two months to go, there's a it's it seems like a good way to bet that if C.J. Wilson keeps going with these skills, that the ERA's just got to go up. You would think so, and and sign these long-term contracts with these older pitchers is going to be the subject of my market pulse this week. Um, you know, these pitchers who are approaching 30 or over 30, and they sign these long, uh, high-contract dollar deals. C.J. Wilson here is an example of what risk that is in reality. And finally, Matt, you're a Cleveland guy. Uh, Josh Tomlin last year had 12 wins in a decent season. And uh, this year, I, I imagine a lot of people are wishing they had not seen that 12-win season. He's not doing well. No, and he's, uh, control has been his calling card here. Only 1.1 walks per nine innings last year. He's not a strikeout guy, not really a ground ball guy either. He's just a, a control guy. And if you're not striking out, he's only striking out five batters per nine innings. You better get the ball over the plate. He is so far with 2.1 control, but his ERA is 5.34. We expect him to, to improve because he has a very low 64% strand rate. His expected ERA that you just mentioned, Patrick, is 4.39 here, a whole run better. So we do expect Tomlin to improve. One ray of hope for Tomlin owners is that he did suffer a wrist injury earlier in the year, and he really hasn't been the same pitcher since. Uh, his strikeout rate's been cut in half since he had that injury. So if he can uh, figure out, the source of that problem and get healthy again. There is some hope for Tomlin. Uh, the tribe is looking for a pitcher here for down the home stretch. So he's a guy who's kind of on the bubble with the emergence of Zach McAllister in Cleveland. So not a guy to uh, certainly pay full dollar for, but uh, as a cheap guy in the end, the Indians are playing pretty good ball. And uh, I think he might be worth a flyer. All right, Matt, you mentioned your Market Pulse commentary a little later in the show. Uh, so I guess we'll catch up with you again in a week's time. Look forward to it, Patrick. Matt Beagle is a columnist at BaseballHQ.com and our American League commentator here at Baseball HQ Radio. Our feature interview with Steve Gardner, the senior fantasy editor at USA Today and USAToday.com is coming up next. You are listening to Baseball HQ Radio. First of all, I want you to know that this honor that was brought upon me here could not have happened without the great work and the advice and guidance that I've had from three of the most wonderful people that I know. And if either of them weren't here today, I know that this day could not be complete. But they're all here, and I just hope you don't mind if I just pay a, a word of thanks and a tribute to my advisor and a wonderful friend, a man who I considered a father, Mr. Branch Rickey. And my mother, who taught me so much of the important things early in life, I appreciate no end. My mother, Mrs. Robinson. And, and, and lastly, ladies and gentlemen, my wife, who has been such a wonderful inspiration to me and the person who has guided and advised me throughout our entire marriage. I, I couldn't have been here today without her help. And then I and sitting down I must thank the baseball writers. I never thought at all that I would have this wonderful honor coming to me so early in my lifetime. And to have the writers to elect me on the first time is a thrill that I shall never forget. We have been up in cloud nine since the election. I don't ever think I'll come down. But I want to thank all of the people throughout this country who were just so wonderful during those trying days. I appreciate it no end. It's the greatest honor any person could have. And I only hope that I'll be able to live up to this tremendously fine honor. It's, it's something that I think 
those of us who are fortunate again must use in order to help others because it's such a tremendous honor that we should be able to go out and do things to help. I'm just grateful and I'm sorry it's taking so long, but I just wanted you to do it. I appreciate it so much. Thank you. Baseball HQ Radio. And welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. I'm Patrick David. Pleasure now to be joined by Steve Gardner, the Senior Fantasy Editor at USA Today, usatoday.com. Steve, welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. Thank you very much, Patrick. Uh, glad to be back again. Yes, you were on the show earlier, uh, just after you had been uh, promoted to Senior Fantasy Editor at the paper and the website. And I forgot to ask you at that time, did you get a nicer office out of the deal? Uh, no, I'm stuck in the exact same office, uh, surrounded by the exact same people. No but that's okay. I like it. Yeah, I, I was in the newspaper business for many years myself, and uh, I didn't like having an office. I liked being out in the newsroom with all the other people, and the hustle and bustle really kind of adds to the experience, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. In fact, our, our new editor for the paper, Mary Byrne, has, has an office, but she's rarely there. She's uh, got a desk out in the middle of the newsroom, and I think that's, uh, that's, a, that's a good trend. I like yeah. to see that happening. Yeah, and you can see how it might be uh, worthwhile in, in other pursuits. When I was uh, working at the paper in Regina, Saskatchewan, our managing editor had an office, but likewise, he was very seldom in it, but he was at the golf course. <laughs> <laughs> so a, a different thing altogether. Steve, how are your fantasy teams doing in experts leagues? I'm doing okay. I mean, when, whenever you play in many different leagues, you'll get some teams that uh, you like a little bit better because they're doing better and some that you like a little bit less when they uh, have some injuries but all in all I got a couple of teams that are fighting for first so that's good to keep my uh, keep my interest in and then some of the others uh, just just hanging around the middle and and one down toward the bottom but uh, pretty pretty good mixed mixed uh, labor uh, my team's fighting for first and uh, doing okay there and up in the top four and in, in uh, NL labor but um, Tout Wars team and uh, AL Labor, not doing so great. Well, let's talk briefly about your mixed labor team. What, what's the key to your success, do you think, this year? What has gone right? Number one, just some of the pitching that I've gotten. Um, James McDonald has been a guy who's been a, a huge success for me so far this season. And just drafting a strong team all the way around offensively. I think my offensive numbers are, are really good. And I've been able to do it without um, having a guy who's, really been an ace closer um i'm last in the league in in saves and so you know you've got to make it up elsewhere and uh so i think that's one of the things we drafted that league so early um that there weren't you know we didn't know about breakouts like carlos ruiz is a great guy that that uh, i got very late in that draft who's been outstanding for me um and also alan craig is another guy that's come back and, and played really really well michael morse um it seems like I've been able to the guys that had started off slowly or or on the on the DL to start the season um was able to kind of maintain while the season started and then getting those guys back it's almost like uh, you know getting a, a free agent at the at the trade deadline it's it's really really helped there's going to be have been and are going to be a lot of trades in the big leagues to talk about but let's start by talking about fantasy trading as we head to our league trading deadlines you had a column in USA today and usatoday.com on Wednesday and your first bit of advice there was don't be afraid to take a chance what did you mean by that well a lot of times you hear it about major league teams they're reluctant to trade with other clubs in their own division and uh, the theory there is that the you know you don't want to help your competitor and that the player may come back to uh, to haunt you i think a lot of fantasy owners kind of take that same 
tact in, in trading. They, if they're competing with another team, you know, maybe both of you are in the top four or five, uh, you don't want to trade with another guy because of what you might give them that helps them pass you. The key, though, is, is, it, is it a good deal for your team? And I look at it that a lot of people want to, to minimize the risk, and I made the, this point in the column, is that if you uh, had a chance on a coin flip to wager $50, and if you won, you got $75 back, the odds are in your favor, but most people are, are afraid to risk, you know, to put themselves out there, put that $50 on the line, and are hesitant to make that to make that bet. I think the same thing with fantasy trades. You know, you see you can improve your team, but you're worried about having the other team improve. Concentrate on your team, what makes your team better because as you make your team better, then you allow yourself to maybe make another trade and even improve even more. So I, I think that's what people kind of get caught up in in the downside rather than looking at the potential upside. Well, I agree with the part that people are too focused on the downside, and there's a behavioral economic principle uh, that says that we value the thing in our hand more than we value the thing that we might end up with. Just in general, we overvalue things that we own, which is why many owners find it very difficult to part with a, a player because they just think he's worth more than he is, and they think that the player they might get is worth less than he actually is. But I wonder about this idea of not wanting to trade with a guy near you in the overall standings. I mean, if we, if I'm trying to catch you in the standings and you're two points ahead of me why do i want to make a trade that helps you at all well you obviously want to it's a lot easier to trade with somebody who's at the bottom of the league for instance that you know won't come back to haunt you but i think sometimes those types of trades i know that the fred zinke and uh, and jonah carey who are both in the mixed labor uh league with me and are both in the top five you know those guys are are notoriously some of the most active traders in all of the experts leagues that I've been in, and those guys continually finish rather high in their leagues. And I think it's part of that is because they're willing to go ahead and put themselves out on the line, and no matter who it is they're trading with. And, and Fred just made a trade with, uh, with Ray Murphy of Baseball HQ this week. Huge blockbuster trade. Um, Felix Hernandez was part of it. Uh, uh, who else was in it? Um, Carlos Gonzalez was, oh, it was Roy Halladay and Carlos Quinton for Carlos Gonzalez and Carlos Villanueva. You know, an ace pitcher on one side, an ace hitter on the other side, and these guys are fighting each other for first place in the league. I, I thought that was a great challenge trade, and, um, and both of those guys, those are the kinds of risks that, uh, that sometimes you have to take to win your league. And do you think there's any really great requirement that most guys in a trade be named Carlos? <laughs> I think in that case, yeah, we only needed one more to make it a four Carlos trade. That's right. That would have been fun. It would have been an excellent trade, real exciting. Carlos is flying all over the place. You also advised readers in that column not to forget what you called the secondary effects of trades. What did you mean by secondary effects? Well, a lot of times you look at the trades from a major league standpoint and you see which players are traded. You know, the Annabelle Sanchez and the, the... Jacob Turner trade between the Marlins and Tigers. You, you can see those guys and what they w- will do you know, or, or project what they might do in their new situations. But some of the secondary effects are what happens when one guy is traded, like Omar Infante, going from Miami to Detroit. What happens then? Who backfills that spot? You know, there are opportunities for playing time there 
in Miami because they don't have Infante? You know, do they move Emilio Bonifacio to second base? Does that create room playing time in the outfield for somebody else? So you have to look at that, you know, those kinds of secondary effects when you uh, evaluate the overall effects of the particular trade. Um, I see that the, you know, the Jays and Astros, when they made their big 10-player deal, a lot of pitchers were, were the headliners, and, and what's J.A. Happ going to be doing in, in Toronto? How's he going to work? Well, the one thing, I think the biggest impact of that trade, especially for fantasy owners, was the fact that the Jays traded away Ben Francisco and had an open spot in their outfield, and that allowed them to promote Travis Snyder to come up, and you know, although Travis Snyder has, has kind of uh, had medial, uh, medial success uh, so far in the major leagues, he's raked at AAA and giving him an opportunity to possibly play on a regular basis, which it looks like he's going to be, be doing at least until Jose Bautista comes back. You know, those kinds of secondary effects, we all have to keep our eyes out um, to see what happens there because players like Snyder can come in, get more playing time, and, and possibly be available on, on fantasy waiver wires. And, and those are the guys that uh, sometimes you can pick up and, and have them make instant impacts. I think the same thing is also true of the secondary effects on your own team when you're making a fantasy-type trade in that a lot of times uh, you get offers or are considering offers where you're trading away, I don't know, Robinson Cano as part of the deal. And you, th- and you just look at it and you say, yeah, on balance this looks pretty good, but you never stop to think, wait a minute, who am I going to put in Cano's place on my own roster? And a lot of times it irks me, frankly, when I get an offer in my uh, in my home league where a guy will say, I'll give you this pitcher and this third baseman, and you give me these two outfielders. Uh, when you're making an offer to somebody and when you're considering an offer from somebody, you always have to be thinking about how am I going to manage my roster after the trade goes through if it does. Yes, exactly. And that's uh, I have a similar situation where somebody offers me like four players for another, you know, for one of my guys. Uh, you know, where am I going to put all these guys? You know, the roster spots just don't uh, materialize out of nowhere. So, yeah, even even a two-for-one trade, uh, it, you still have to figure out if you're getting two guys and you're trading away one, um, yeah, are you going to have to cut somebody once you've added those two guys? Or if you're the one, you know, how are you going to backfill that spot when you're trading one away? And in a kind of related matter, sometimes if you're getting a guy back from the DL or if you're getting a guy who was in the minors, Travis Snyder, for example, that you had on your reserve list, he gets called up. All of a sudden, this creates an imperative for you to trade. But I think a message, Steve, that you'll probably agree with is if you're making an offer to somebody, do your homework and explain to them how they can fill the, the spots that are going to be created or manage their rosters, whether filling spots or dropping spots, after the trade is complete. Because if you don't make that effort, then you're putting the effort on somebody else, and that just makes it a harder sell. It's like trying to sell some guy a barbecue and then not telling him that he has to put it together when he gets home. Exactly. Uh, Whenever you're trading, nobody's going to trade with you so that you can improve your team. You You have to frame it as to how you will help them, and at the same time, you know, you'll get a little bit of a benefit out of it, but they have to understand that it's, you know, it's going to be beneficial to them or they won't even consider, and, and that's what you want to do. You want to at least, as, uh, as the salesman says, you want to at least get your foot in the door, and uh, when you're looking to trade, that's the, that's the first thing that you need to do. You're listening to Baseball HQ Radio, Patrick Davitt with Steve Gardner, Senior Fantasy Editor at USA Today and usatoday.com. And Steve, that same uh, column was really interesting. You also mentioned that, Owners have to remember, sometimes luck just trumps talent. 
Yeah, especially at this point in the season, too. And the major league teams, uh, I see, you know, with it, if they think, you know, Ryan Dempster is going to make a huge deal, he's going to give us a huge upgrade over, you know, Randall Delgado or something like that. There's, there's that whole thing you're only talking about, for pitchers especially, you're only talking about maybe a dozen starts left in the season. You know, how much better is Ryan Dempster going to be than Randall Delgado? Maybe a little bit better, but then again, even pure luck sometimes can make it the other way around. I mean, Dempster's had a lot of luck in, in his favor this year. That's why he's, his ERA is so low, is that uh, you know he's had a lot of uh, a benefit of low uh, batting averages on balls in play and high strand rate and things like that. So you know if that normalizes, does that make you know is he that much worse of a pitcher or is he just reverting to uh, what his true level is? Um, I, I think really the difference between from a hitting standpoint too. If you have a guy hit 350 the rest of the way versus a guy hitting 275, that's a hit or maybe two a week. You know how big of a difference is that? It could be just random variance. So a lot of times you need to have a guy like remember CC Sabathia when he got traded to the Brewers, how he went on a huge hot streak. Manny Ramirez um, when he got traded to the Dodgers uh, back in 2008. That kind of a huge hot streak. If you're trading a hitter for a hitter, you kind of need that hitter to go on that kind of a hot streak or that pitcher to go on that kind of a hot streak to really make those one-for-one trades you know, make that much of a difference. I think the real difference if you're making a trade is to get uh, a starting pitcher perhaps to replace a closer. You know, that's where the, the difference is, is huge. Or, or uh, maybe a, a player to replace an injured player. If you have Joey Votto um, or somebody that's going to be lost for an extended period of time, Alex Rodriguez. You know, you definitely need to get somebody in there to take those at bats and, and put up those stats. So that's where you know you can get a huge advantage. But um, you know, maybe a slugger for a speedster if you want to trade uh, power for steals to to move up in the standings. Those are the kinds of things. And you know, it, it is difficult for a single player to make that kind of a difference. Um, so that's why a lot of times you may need to make multiple deals at the trade deadline and and um, we see major league teams trying to do the same thing to fill those holes where they're getting nothing and to improve you know sometimes you can improve incrementally steve some of these ideas that you're talking about and they're all excellent but they might be affected or might be looked at differently by owners in keeper leagues where you have that future consideration to, to keep in mind for instance an owner might be reluctant to swap mike trout for a package of players that might get him close to the top because he wants mike trout for the next three four years as a foundational piece yeah and as you were talking especially if you drafted mike trout and you had him from his minor league season and and you're enjoying the fruits of his labor this year and and Mike Trout, frankly, is probably making as big a difference as anyone in uh, in any fantasy league. To tell you the truth, um, yeah, it's it's you have to be reluctant to want to trade him. But if the package that you can get, and Mike Trout, you know, one of the things is his batting average on balls in play is is pretty high. Four hundred. He's had some great stats. Obviously, he's a great player. He contributes across the board. But I don't know that he can sustain the way that he's playing for an entire season and into next year. So, I mean, Mike Trout's trade value certainly is very, very high right now. And if you're looking at a team that is, uh, you know, maybe a team that's at the bottom of your keeper league that is out of it, Mike Trout has to be a very, very valuable piece for next season and for the years to come. And I think that you can get a premium package for Mike Trout. And if you're a team 
that is you know up in the top two or three, and you're looking at at winning your league. It's been said many, many times. You know, flags fly forever. Play for this year, um, and let the rest of the uh, you know the, the future take care of itself. I have a trade in my home keeper league. In fact, uh, I, I'm in that sort of similar situation, and we have minor league players. Oscar Tavares, one of the, the top minor league prospects in the St. Louis Cardinals organization, just tearing it up at Double A at uh, at 19 or 20. You know, he could be the next Mike Trout. I ended up trading him uh, along with Ben Francisco or uh, Juan Francisco in my NL only league for a package that included Cole Hamels and Carlos Lee. I really hated to give up Oscar Tavares because I think he's going to be a fantastic player, and in a keeper league, he has tremendous value. Uh, like I said, he could be, you know, next year or the year after is Mike Trout, but Cole Hamels, an ace pitcher, is a huge upgrade over who I had in my uh, rotation, and Carlos Lee filled the void for me at first base. He was an upgrade over Todd Helton, who went on the DL. So, you know, that was the kind of move. If you're in that position, you know, I think you go ahead and make that move and try and win because you never know what's going to happen with next year. And if you're playing for next year you could end up playing for next year again once next year rolls around. And another guy named Carlos getting traded, I just have to point out. Uh, uh, I think you're right and that I, I really wonder about guys who play in these leagues and are within striking distance of a title and they just hold back because they think, well, if, if I get lucky, I might win the title this year, but if I don't, I'm also set up for next year. They're trying to have their cakes and eat their cake too, and and. That never works, or it seldom enough works that really ought to learn. And, and if you have a chance to go for the top spot in your league, you really have to do whatever it takes. And it's a, it's a, it's a story that we all have seen repeated time and again. If you've got the goods, go for the, go for the gusto. Yeah, and especially in NL-only or AL-only leagues where, you know, who knows what could happen in the offseason. If guys, you know, free agents or, or big trades go down, you lose them to the other league and maybe a guy that you had planned on being the cornerstone of your team, not that Mike Trout is going to be traded by the Angels or anything, but uh, you know, guys that, that you may not have suspected would, uh, would go to the other league, end up over there, and then where are you? So, uh, yeah, and the, the guys that it seems like, the owners that are always looking toward the future, uh, are doing that year after year after year and never get a shot at the brass ring. Right, or Mike Trout could hurt himself. Mike Trout could, uh, you know, take up Zen Buddhism and decide he doesn't want to play anymore. I mean, we don't know. Kid's twenty-one years old. I mean, he could he could run off and get married or something. Who the heck knows? How how do you know, Steve, if you're close enough to the brass ring to reach out and grab for it? Yeah, that that's really the question, and you have to look at number one. If you're in a roto league, you have to look at the categories and see how close you are, how many points you can stand to move up in the standings. Um, right, right about now, I think, you know, once we get to the end of July and you've got two months left, you can kind of figure out, okay, we've had this many, uh, you know, this much of our standings. You've had two-thirds of the, of the season gone already. You divide that in half and maybe add that on and see, you know, what your projection is for the full season. And then you can kind of determine how can I move up, how many points are available here. Um, from a, a, a head-to-head league also, you can look at what you have, if you have guys that are coming back, how guys are going to be uh, distributed with playing time for the rest of the season in, in August and September. You can see what your roster looks like, and is it going to be competitive in September when the playoff weeks are going on. Um, that's, you know, it's a tough thing because you've got to analyze it 
in in every situation, and every situation is different. But um, it, it does take a little bit of of looking at where you are in the standings and where you have upside, and maybe where you uh, you may lose some some traction. So it's it's tough to make that choice. But I think if you're in the upper you know upper quadrant, you've got enough. Uh, you should have enough to to make a run for a title. Yeah, I was going to add that you really want to be aware of how many categories you might go down in, and if you're at the top of the uh, of a clump in all of the counting categories, and you know you're only three home runs from losing three points and six RBIs from losing three more, and so on, you got to believe that chances are you are going to lose some of that ground, and and you got to factor that into your decision making. I'd also throw in as a as a piece of advice, having played for a long time. You really have to be aware of how many teams are between you and where you want to be. It's like looking at the top of a golf leaderboard. You know, if you're if you're lying ninth with uh, nine holes to play, even if you're fairly close, that's an awful lot of guys who have to play badly in order for you to get past all of them. So, you know, points are part of it, but also how many how many guys are between you and, and the top. Yeah, especially because you've got to remember those uh, owners are looking to make deals and improve their teams as well, and uh, you know they're not just going to sit there and do nothing. For the course of the last two months, they're gonna they're gonna try and improve their status. You're listening to Baseball HQ Radio, Patrick Davitt with Steve Gardner, senior fantasy editor at USA Today and USAToday.com. And Steve, let's talk about some of the real trades that have taken place in the big leagues the last few days. First of all, what did you make of the Ichiro Suzuki to New York deal, and do you think it'll matter in fantasy leagues? Uh, it was I was certainly taken aback by it. I did not see that coming. I mean, the Yankees certainly with Brett Gardner out seem like they might need to make a move, but anybody thinking that uh, Ichiro would, would be gone from Seattle where he's been such a you know a fixture there uh, had to be a stunner. I think, you know, Ichiro, with his uh, fantasy status, he's kind of dropped from, from that upper-level guy, you know, the guy that you could count on for 200 hits a couple of years ago and the previous 13, you know, before that. Um, he's no longer that guy. He, he doesn't get on base a whole lot. And in Seattle, that was the problem because he didn't get on base and he didn't get to the rest of his lineup around him to drive him in. So the value that you get from Ichiro in runs scored um, with his batting average down and his steals, although he was still running quite a bit, you, know, you still don't get the value that you used to get with Ichiro. I think with the Yankees, especially if they're going to hit him toward the top of the order, and I, I have my doubts as to whether that's a real good idea. I think he'd probably be better hitting eighth or ninth. But if they're going to put him up at the top of the order and have Derek Jeter hit second, then Ichiro's going to have a lot more chances to get on base. The Yankees are going to turn their lineup over a lot more than the Mariners have. And Ichiro's going to get uh, opportunities to steal. He's going to get opportunities to score runs. They're going to have a lot of guys that are capable of driving him in from first base um, with home runs. And you look at the park factor, too. I think that's the one thing that, from a fantasy standpoint, Ichiro's owner should be happy about because he was very poor at Safeco. It's, it's such a pitcher's park there. His slash line at games at Safeco this year 216 average, 259 on base, 292 slugging. On the road, he was much better. He was a 295 hitter, a slugging percentage over 100 points higher. People make a, a little bit of, you know, we hear about Ichiro and being able to put on the display in batting practice and, and hitting home runs and everything. We thought that might happen in Seattle at the start of the year when they moved him down to the number three spot in the lineup in, in spring training at the early part of the season. It didn't materialize. I think he could hit a few more home runs in Yankee Stadium just because 
it, it's such a short porch there in right field. So maybe Ichiro does decide to try and, and hit a few more home runs. I'm sure his fantasy owners would love that because that's been something that's never been a part of his game. So if you, if you add a little bit of power, you add more runs scored, you add more opportunities to steal bases, I think it's a, a definite plus for Ichiro. And the fact that change of scenery, getting involved in a pennant race, and the fact that he plays defense really well and should be in there most all the time, I think you're getting a nice little bump in value for him. Yeah, and I think there might be some hidden uh, added value in in RBIs as well. I don't think he's going to hit at the top of the order. There was a story I saw, I believe it was in USA Today, but I don't uh, recall for sure, but the Yankees apparently gave Ichiro a list of concessions he was going to have to make before they would consent to having him join the club. And one of those concessions was, you are going to be hitting towards the bottom of the order and not the top. And, of course, people immediately say it would have been better if he was at the top because more PAs, probably more runs scored. But the guys in front of him, if he's hitting, say, seventh, that means he's hitting behind guys like Teixeira and uh, and Nick Swisher and guys who are good ball players and who run the bases well. I think he could drive in a few runs with those guys in front of him. Sure, and and I think the, the plate appearances that he may lose hitting at the bottom of the Yankees lineup um, versus Seattle is probably going to be a wash because the Yankees are going to go through their order so many times. Um, I think, you know, and especially as we were talking earlier about the small sample size, you're only talking a couple of months. Anything can happen in, in terms of random variance. Uh, I, I think Ichiro's in, in much, you know, no matter where he hits in the lineup, really, he's in a much better situation. Definitely a better situation. They they also told him, apparently in this same story, that he was going to have to sit versus left-handers, especially tough ones. That could really be a blow to his playing time. But I just looked at some uh, some stats the other day for BaseballHQ.com, Steve, and, and the guy at the very top of the list of the unluckiest hitters in baseball when it comes to BABIP on line drives is Ichiro Suzuki. I mean, he's, he's barely uh, he's under 300 on line drives, and the league average is, is I should say he's under 60% and the league average is closer to 70. So he has some, if he keeps hitting line drives, he's going to get more base hits, you'd think, just on, on the law of averages. I know that it might not happen, but it's it's a decent bet. Right, and a lot of times, too, if you're sitting against uh, pitchers who are you know, left-hander versus left-hander, those at-bats that you're losing are generally your worst at-bats anyway. So right. that's a, it's a plus for your batting average. Exactly right. Uh, the Dodgers in Miami uh, hooked up. Hanley Ramirez, quite famously now going to the Dodgers and getting uh, the Miami Marlins, get Nathan Eovaldi back. What's your take on this one? Well, I think um, a change of scenery here might might come into play as well for Hanley Ramirez. I mean, the Dodgers, certainly uh, you remember in 2008, they took a chance on an unhappy slugger who uh, who didn't really ha- get along well with his teammates in Boston by the name of Manny Ramirez, and he came over and made a, a huge difference, had 53 RBIs in 53 games and hit close to 400, and he propelled the Dodgers to a playoff spot. I think Hanley Ramirez, you know, the, the odds are against him being able to do that, but I think he's certainly going to be able to ramp his performance up, and uh, or at least that's within the realm of possibilities. And, you know, the, the change of scenery there gets him out of Miami where he wasn't happy. And you look at what, what Hanley Ramirez can give you, um, and the difference between Hanley and Manny is that Hanley's pretty much at the peak of where he should be physically. I mean, he's only 28 years old. The Marlins, it seemed to me, are selling him at his absolute low point. And although I think Nathan Eovaldi is a nice prospect, 
um, that's all that they got back for him. And uh, I think that Hanley certainly has upside where he's going to play. You know, maybe he'll uh, see action at shortstop um, while D. Gordon is out and maybe move back to third base when Gordon comes back. You know, that's that's another thing. But uh, he's going to be in the lineup. You know, he had a, a pretty good debut for the Dodgers, a couple of hits, a triple, RBI. So I, I think Hanley Ramirez has got a chance to be kind of an impact player over the next couple of months. Also, it's got to be more fun for a ball player to be in a pennant race as he will be in Los Angeles, which he definitely wasn't going to be in Miami. I think that's important. I think his value might take a bump for next year as well because he might get back his 20-game shortstop eligibility while uh, D. Gordon is on the mend. I'm not sure how long they expect Gordon to be out, but Ramirez, if he gets his 20 and now he's a shortstop slash third baseman, that's a really valuable positional eligibility. Right, and, you know... Defensively, he, he's not great at shortstop, but I think he was worse um, at third base. So, you know, they, the Dodgers could put Juan Uribe there. And even when Gordon comes back, you know, maybe D. Gordon could play second base. So I think there's a pretty good shot that Hanley plays 20 games the rest of the way at shortstop for the Dodgers. And as you said, for keeper league owners and, and for next season, it, it does increase his value because He's an ordinary, especially the way he's been hitting the last couple of years, he's an ordinary third baseman from a fantasy standpoint, but he's an above-average shortstop, and that's where his value does lie. How about Wandy Rodriguez moving from Pittsburgh to Houston? I, I think you know people can say whatever they want about the, the Pirates if they needed to go ahead and get to, you know maybe more hitting rather than pitching. I think it's a great move for Wandy Rodriguez personally because he goes from a place in Houston, you know, as a left-handed hitter, those Crawford boxes out there, and or as a left-handed pitcher, those Crawford boxes in left field are awfully close. And uh, in Pittsburgh, you know, a lot of people don't really look at PNC Park as one of the most pitcher-friendly parks in all of baseball, but over the course of this season, it's played as the third best pitcher's park in all of baseball. Um, so if you put Wandy Rodriguez out of Houston and in Pittsburgh, I think the chances of him putting up good numbers, you know, good ERA and the Pirates, you know, Pirates defense, maybe, you know, with Andrew McCutcheon running things down out there, it may be a little bit better. You know, they're, they're good on the infield with Clint Barmas, one of the better defensive shortstops. So I think the Pirates are going to help him defensively. The park is going to help him. And uh, I, I think Rodriguez, you know, he had a, a 3.79 ERA in Houston. I think he could do certainly better than that, improve on that as a member of the Pirates, and you know improve his record as well. He's got a much better chance for wins. What about the fact that um, Cole Hamels wasn't traded and actually has signed a huge in- extension? From a from a baseball standpoint, I'm not sure that I'm I'm really uh, uh, on board with that decision by the Phillies. They have so many holes offensively. They're getting older much, much older offensively, and they already have committed money to Cliff Lee and to Roy Halladay. So I think one of the things is that, uh, you know, maybe they didn't have to sign Cole Hamels to that deal. It seems like when you get a deal that makes you, you know, on, on uh, I think, average annual value, the most uh, expensive pitcher in all of baseball, it's not really getting a, a discount. Why they had to do that at this point in the season um, and sign him is is kind of uh, mysterious to me, but from a from a fantasy standpoint, you know, you get what uh, what Cole Hamels is. He's still going to be an ace. He's still going to give you great numbers, and, and I think it's it's fine. It would be it would have been interesting to see 
what he could have done in another park, but we do know he's a known quantity in, in Philadelphia, and so from that standpoint, obviously his, his value sticks with, uh, with what it was. But uh, from, a, from a Philly standpoint, I don't know that it was the right move to go ahead and sign him long term. And in uh, the trade season's weirdest story, I think, the Cubs traded Ryan Dempster, and Ryan Dempster untraded himself. What do you think is going to uh, end up happening with this story? Well, the Cubs are certainly in sell mode, and um, it makes sense for them to get something for Dempster because he's going to be a free agent at the end of the season. The only reason to keep him would be to get a supplemental draft pick or sandwich draft pick in, in next year's draft. I, I think they can probably do better. And certainly the deal that they had uh, with the Braves that looked like it was going to be finalized for, for Randall Delgado would have been a huge win for the Cubs, you know, to get a pitcher who you can control for five more years who may or, or may not be just as good as Dempster over that small sample size of the rest of the season. Um, I, I think that was, that was a huge move that the Cubs could have made. Um, but because Dempster's a 10-5 and five player, he was able to, uh, to nix that deal don't know where it sounds like he wants to go to to the Dodgers and that would be great for him you know from a fantasy standpoint to leave Wrigley Field and go to Dodger Stadium but um yeah that was it was definitely a strange situation and um with the the speed of news to Twitter and all the social media sites and everything uh it was it was even stranger because the deal was made, and, and even MLB.com was confirming that uh, that all all things were were in place until Dempster said, uh, "No, wait a minute, you forgot to ask me." And uh, Bob Nightingale of USA Today has posted today on your website, and I presume in the paper edition of the paper as well, that uh, Zach Greinke is definitely going to be traded, according to their GM. I guess the question is, where to? Yeah, that's. Um you know, the, the Brewers didn't look like they were going to be able to re-sign him. And uh, so in that respect, yeah, it's probably smart now that the Brewers have, have sort of faded away. I think you've got to think that Texas has got to be the, the number one destination. I mean, the Rangers have to have an ace starting pitcher. Um, they lost Colby Lewis to Tommy John surgery, so they're without him. He would presumably be their game one starter in the playoffs. So, yeah, you'd have to think... The, the other thing about how well it fits is that, you know, pitching always the key. So if, if the Rangers have the extra pitching, they need the prospects to send back to Milwaukee. And they have a guy, third baseman Mike Olt, is, is down in the minor leagues, and he's just crushing. And the fact that Adrian Beltre is there in Texas, Olt would have to switch positions um, and would not be able to play his natural spot. Well, hey, the Brewers have a spot open at third base. They can, uh, well, Aramis Ramirez is there. So, uh, you know, maybe Olt could come in there and do something else. But Aramis Ramirez is only signed, I think, for another year. Um, so it would give him time to grow and get into that spot. And it seems like it would be a perfect fit for both teams. The Atlanta Braves, having lost out in the Ryan Dempster deal, uh, Steve, look like they might be a player as well in this. Uh, and they think, according to Bob Nightingale's story, that they have the f a little bit of a leading edge on retaining Granke as a free agent, re-signing him because he lives in Florida and that's not so far to get to and from Atlanta. Right, yeah, the Braves the Braves train in Florida, whereas you know, Milwaukee trains out in Arizona. So uh, I think that's definitely a, a possibility. You know, the Braves... One of the things that they do have is a very nice collection of young pitchers. So that could be attractive to Milwaukee. Just, you know, they've re-signed Giovanni Gallardo 
for for an extended period of time. But beyond him, I don't know that the Brewers have a whole lot of pitching. And and obviously Ryan Braun is a cornerstone on offense, but some young pitching that kind of makes sense as well. Yeah, and and apparently Jake Peavy has publicly announced that he thinks the White Sox should get in on it because that American League Central, of course, is wide open and uh, Chicago's having uh, maybe a little bit of trouble with their pitching. Jake Peavy perhaps accepted. Uh, This is Baseball HQ Radio, Patrick Davitt with Steve Gardner from USA Today and usatoday.com senior fantasy editor over there. And uh, maybe I should ask you, Steve, what trades haven't happened that you think still are going to? Well, yeah, the Granky, I guess, sounds like maybe a done deal. And, you know, the one thing about the Phillies, I thought, you know, it, now that they've re-signed Cole Hamels, there was, there was a whole lot of, of possibilities there if they could trade Shane Victorino or, or somebody like that. Um, seemed like they were ripe to go ahead and, and do a complete teardown. Doesn't look like that's going to happen now, which is, which is kind of sad. And as we said, the Brewers seem to be in sell mode. They, um, Francisco Rodriguez, until he blew up this past weekend, seemed like a possible trade candidate. You know, that's the strangest thing is that so many of the rumors that you hear this time, this time of year, are completely false. And uh, to try and separate fact from fiction is just pure guessing. I guess one of the things that that I might look for is Chase Headley with the Padres. So many teams are looking for a third baseman, and a young guy like Headley certainly should have a considerable trade value. Maybe the New York Yankees get involved. We haven't really talked a whole lot about what else they need, but um, even after getting Ichiro, the Alex Rodriguez injury opens up a spot for them that, you know, there's a weakness there, and you can never put it past the Yankees for, uh, you know, going ahead and addressing that at the trade deadline. So those those are some of the things that I would keep an eye on, and, and maybe the Red Sox, you know, are they sellers? Are they buyers at this point? Uh, I don't really know. The, the really yeah, it's hard big to say. news earlier in the week that uh, that seemed like it might come to fruition was that Carl Crawford for Hanley Ramirez trade that's now out of the water. But um, I don't know if anybody, uh, if there's anybody else around who would be willing to take on Carl Crawford's salary, for instance. Yeah, there's a story I read, uh, I believe, in USA Today that uh, the Angels are talking about trading Vernon Wells and his 20-some million dollar contract, and uh, good luck with that, except unless they pay the whole shot, I guess. Uh, Steve, before we... Remember, too, the, the Marlins still have Josh Johnson available as well. If they're, you know, They've continued their, uh, their fire sale. Josh Johnson is really the, the last guy that, uh, that you look at on that roster that um, has been there for a while and is a, is a veteran that they may go ahead and try and, and unload him. And, and he's one of those ace kind of pitchers who could get hot over the last two months. Absolutely. Steve, before we sign off, I always ask our expert visitors here at Baseball HQ Radio to tell us about players for the balance of the season, picks to click and picks that might make their owners sick, I like to call it. Uh, first, let's talk about some picks to click. Uh, who's a National League hitter you like for the last two months of the year? Paul Goldschmidt of, uh, of the Diamondbacks got off to such a horrible start and hit just, well, I think he was under 200 in the month of April. Since then, he's been just crushing the ball. And I, I think, you know, with especially in NL-only leagues, with Joey Votto out, Paul Goldschmidt is probably the number one first baseman in all of, of the uh, National League from a fantasy standpoint. And I don't think he really gets the credit that he deserves. So I, I would look at him as a guy that uh, you know, he, if he just continues the way that he's been for, for the last several months, um, you'll see a, a very valuable fantasy hitter the rest of the way. How about an American League hitter? 
one of the guys that maybe not be getting uh, is, is not getting enough credit is Mark Teixeira for the Yankees. I mean, he's he's leading the American League in RBIs over the past month, and his batting average on balls in play is really not that great. I mean, we we saw the shift and everything uh, kind of getting to him at the beginning of the year. Uh, he sort of made a conscious decision not to worry about that anymore, and um, I, I think. You know, maybe the the shifts are taking away some hits that he should get, and uh, his BABIP will be uh, maybe lower than than league average. But I still think there's there's upside there, and you know, with with the Yankee offense and maybe even adding Ichiro, more opportunities to drive in runs. I think Teixeira is a guy that um, you know may be undervalued at this point. I was talking last week with uh, Matt Beagle of BaseballHQ.com, our American League analyst, and he wondered as I did why a guy like Teixeira when he faces that shift uh, as a left-handed hitter particularly, just doesn't shorten up and, and just sort of butcher boy a couple of balls out towards third until they get the message and maybe remove back a little. This is a skilled guy. He could he could plonk a couple of balls just out in the general direction of third base. It doesn't doesn't have to be a great bunt. doesn't have to be well hit even. It just has to get there. Sure. We've seen we've seen David Ortiz do that, and, uh, and yep. for the uh, Washington Nationals, Adam LaRoche, same sort of thing. I uh, saw him the other day. Just drop a bunt down, no chance to get him. And, uh, you know, I, I think it's a situational thing. Obviously, if they're runners on base or, or you need a home run, you wouldn't do that. But leading off an inning, uh, I don't see why Sure. Not. How about a, uh, a National League pitcher you think has some room to really help a, a team down the stretch here? guy that I like is, is Adam Wainwright. And, you know, he got off to a slow start as well. Um, but I think a lot of that is just coming back from, from a lost season it takes a while to get your your stuff and, and, and to feel comfortable on the mound. He's still an elite pitcher from a strikeout-to-walk ratio. I mean, his his strikeout-to-walk ratio, 118 Ks, 32 walks. I mean, that's elite. Um, and his batting average on balls in play is very high, 344 this season. So I think Wainwright is a guy who could catch fire. I mean, in a similar way to the way Chris Carpenter kicked it in last year with the Cardinals, um, Wainwright could could possibly do that. It would not surprise me one bit. And an American League pitcher you like? Last year, remember, Doug Fister had that such a, a great stretch run after he was acquired by the Tigers. His ERA is, is horrible. He's got a 5.70 ERA, but his his fielding independent pitching, his FIP is over two and a half runs lower. So I, Fister has some room to improve. And you look at the Tigers as well. Getting Omar Infante, th- their defense has been horrible all season long. Yep. You know, one guy at second base is not going to make a complete overhaul or anything, but he will give them a little bit more of an advantage. And I think a better defense and a little bit more good luck, I think Doug Fister could be a guy that uh, that could surprise some folks down the stretch. Now your picks on the other side, Steve. Uh, a National League hitter you don't like the rest of the way? Well, not so much don't like. I think will not uh, get to uh, the level that he's reached so far. Michael Bourne of the Braves, He's one of the things that's made him so valuable this year, obviously the stolen bases are, are key to his game, but he's hit uh, eight home runs and uh, you know has a slugging percentage of 441, which for him is, is considerably above what he normally does. His, his average on balls in play, and, and while he'll be a little bit higher than some other players just because of his speed, is at 371, one of the higher ones in all of baseball. So I think that maybe comes down a little bit, and I would not expect as the season drags on for him to have that same kind of impact from a home run and, and RBI standpoint. 
on the American on the American League side, side a hitter. Um, I, I'm amazed, and uh, I mentioned Chris Davis as as one of the guys on on my uh, mixed labor team that that has done so well. Um, but I don't think that he's he's going to be able to. You know, he's already started declining a little bit, and and I think one of the guys that you probably don't want on your roster the rest of the way, simply because you know now that Jim Tomey's there in Baltimore too, there are fewer at bats to go around. So I, I would not be would not be counting on on Chris Davis to to do what he's done to this point. A National League pitcher to avoid. Barry Zito has been a uh, a thorn in my side. He's one of those guys. I, Patrick, you probably have guys like this too, where you tell yourself you're not going to draft them, but you do anyway. You always keep going back. You know, Barry Zito is one of those guys. Francisco Liriano is one of those guys for me, and I think it you know it may have something to do with helping you to a championship in a previous year way back in the past but uh zito has been one of those guys and he's he's on my uh, nl tout wars team um and he's been doing he's been doing fine he's been pitching lights out to, uh, on occasion but his his um his fip is is way up there around five and i don't know that he'll be able to uh continue to pitch as well as he has as the season progresses um he'll give you innings but uh i think going forward those innings are not going to be the quality innings that you've gotten so far this year from Barry Zito. And finally, an American League pitcher to avoid? I, I'm probably not telling you anything you don't already know, but uh, Ubaldo Jimenez, I think, has been one of the guys that you keep waiting for him to recapture that past glory that he had. You know that he was back when he was with Colorado for that half season, a little bit more than a half season, he was the best pitcher in baseball, and he's never been that way since. Mechanically, he, he seems all over the place. And every so often, he'll throw in a start that uh, will give you some hope. It seems like you know he'll throw seven shutout in, innings or something. But, again, his FIP is so high, and his inconsistency is something you just can't afford, especially if you're challenging for a title or you're going into your league uh, playoffs and head-to-head. You can't afford to have those kinds of blow-ups, which he seems to have every so often. Um, those are just killers this late in the season. Ubaldo Jimenez killed my uh, season for Tell Wars Mix, that's for sure. Uh, Steve, how can fantasy owners uh, find you on the web or in the paper? What's your schedule? Oh, you can certainly check us out. Um, a fantasy Windup blog, which I edit and write all sorts of stuff, is available at usatoday.com. You can go to fantasywindup.usatoday.com. We've got great um, articles also from folks at Baseball HQ and from Ron Chandler, and we have uh, Ron and I both chat during the week at fantasybaseball.usatoday.com. So come uh, check us out for all the uh, fantasy news and and, uh, analysis. And um, also you can check us out at Sports Weekly. I have a column every week in in USA Today Sports Weekly. So look for that in uh, airports, grocery stores, and, and newsstands all over the country. I was going to say bird cages, but uh, that's an old oh, joke, and I'm an old, <laughs> an old newspaper man. I get oh, to do and, that. And Patrick, also, um, I'm very active on Twitter, so you can catch me on Twitter when it's not broken at uh, Gardner USAT. All right, Steve. Thanks very much for doing this. I hope we can catch up with you again one more time this season. Sounds great, and I hope I can uh, have a uh, maybe a experts league title we can discuss. Yeah, well. <laughs> Not in my future, that's for sure. Uh, Steve Gardner, thanks very much. Steve's the fantasy editor, the senior fantasy editor at USA Today and usatoday.com. Our regular commentaries are next. This is Baseball HQ Radio. I played all the sports as a young boy, but it was always baseball. 
that I love the most. I collected baseball cards as a hobby and one day dream of what it would be like to have my picture on one of those cards. You see, I always have been a fan of the game first and a ball player second. Maybe that's why I had the love and passion for this great game so much. I, I only caught five or six games my senior year of high school. But during those five or six games, a scout by the name of Bob Zuck, who is here with us today, believed I could become a big league catcher someday. He held true to his word, and on the night of the draft, at 18 years of age, I signed a contract with the Expos and started my, making plans to head off to Jamestown, New York. Bob, thanks for believing in me. Baseball HQ Radio. Welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. I'm Patrick Davitt. Time now for our regular weekly commentaries. Matt Beagle is on deck with his Market Pulse. BaseballHQ.com publisher Ron Chandler's in the hole with his Master Notes and leading off the Minor League Minute. BaseballHQ.com minor league expert Rob Gordon telling us about Pittsburgh outfield prospect Gregory Polanco. The Pittsburgh Pirates finally seem to have turned the corner as an organization. After 19 consecutive losing seasons, the Pirates are in contention in the National League Central and have arguably the best player in the National League, if not in baseball, in Andrew McCutcheon. At the minor league level, the Pirates are enjoying a breakout year as well. Their top position prospect, Starling Marte, was called up this past Thursday and had a home run in his first at bat but Marte is far from the club's only interesting prospect. One prospect who has been overlooked until recently is outfielder Gregory Polanco. Polanco was a non-drafted free agent out of the Dominican Republic who really struggled in his first two years as a professional. In 2010, Polanco hit just 202 with three home runs, and he followed that up last year by hitting just 229 with three home runs. But this year has been a completely different story, and Polanco has exceeded all expectations. Polanco is currently hitting 329 with a 387 on base percentage and a very nice 526 slugging percentage. He has 22 doubles, 13 home runs, 38 stolen bases, and 34 walks with 57 strikeouts and 359 at bats for Low A West Virginia. At 6'4, 200 pounds, Polanco has good size, strength, a strong throwing arm, and above average speed that should allow him to play either center field or right field once he reaches the majors. The 20-year-old Polanco will need to prove that this breakout is not a fluke and should get a chance to do so when he's promoted to high A later this year. For those in shallow keeper leagues, it is probably best to take a wait-and-see approach with Polanco, but those in very deep leagues might not want to wait too long to pounce on the speed and power combination before he's snapped up by your competition. For Baseball HQ Radio, this is Baseball HQ Minor League Analyst Rob Corden. Another way BaseballHQ.com subscribers get the winner's edge is with comprehensive coverage of the minor leagues. All season long, Rob Gordon, Jeremy Deloney, and Colby Garropy have reports and updates on organizational moves, daily call-ups, and everything you need to keep tabs on rising stars. Jeremy's call-up reports this week, helped by Colby and Rob, have looked at Mets potential ace left-hander Matt Harvey, Pirates outfielder Starling Marte, Angels shortstop John Segura, and Arizona third baseman Ryan Wheeler. If you need to know your prospects to stay competitive in your league, BaseballHQ.com has you covered. Now it's the Market Pulse with BaseballHQ.com columnist Matt Beagle talking this week about the Cole Hamels signing. One common mistake I see in keepers leagues, as mentioned by Steve Gardner earlier, is people who perpetually build for next year. They keep building with the next hot prospect, the next great guy. They never, ever decide this is the year I'm going for it. They're 
master plan never seems to come fruition. And each year they're just rebuilding and rebuilding and rebuilding. What's fun about fantasy is comparing it to reality. In the major leagues right now, so many things have come from fantasy, focusing on walks, building with a strong middle relief core. But I see the opposite happening with the big pocket teams in Major League Baseball. They're definitely playing to win now. And nothing illustrates that more than the Cole Hamill signing six years, $144 million. Let's just take the contract on its face. There's a huge injury risk. Over the next six years, most pitchers get injured. There's also a performance risk. The fact that Cole Hamill's may be great now, but is he going to be at the same level for the next six years? And no one knows that better than the Phillies themselves, as Roy Halladay sits on the disabled list, and Cliff Lee has been slightly disappointing, although not all to his doing, but he's certainly not been the same pitcher they thought they signed a couple years ago. So there's always performance risk with these long-term contracts. How many pitching long-term contracts work out for the team? Very few. So this Hamill's mistake, I think, is what Major League teams are doing now. They're placating the fans and playing for now without that vision for the future. Exactly the opposite of what we mentioned in the beginning about fantasy. And when you get a contract like this, it handcuffs your team. Now they're talking about maybe trading Cliff Lee or Hunter Pence. Does it really better your team to sign Cole Hamels for six years, obligate all that money to him, only so you can deal another staff ace and your right fielder? It doesn't make any sense. But they've backed themselves into this corner by doing the same thing, as we mentioned, with Cliff Lee, big contract, past the age of 30. Roy Halladay, big contract, past the age of 30. Ryan Howard, Chase Utley, Jimmy Rollins, Jonathan Papelbon. They have $153 million, over $153 million committed to eight players in 2013. The other part of this is these are all older players. Okay, $120 million is committed to six guys who are going to be 32 or older starting in 2013. $91 million is committed to five guys who are 33 or older. When you look at 2014, it's not going to be any better. $112 million committed to these players, not including Chase Utley and Hunter Pence. They're obviously going to have to let Utley walk, and Pence is going to be arbitration eligible. So there could be another $15 million on Hunter Pence, and that's why he's available for trade. They still don't have their answers at third base, left field. They've had a horrible bullpen, which has left them suffering this year. So putting that much money in that few players is not the answer to winning. It constrains you so much that you can't make the ancillary parts that's necessary. Baseball is still a team game. Stars and scrubs may work in fantasy, but it's very difficult to work in the major leagues when you have 30 teams of knowledgeable players who are very competitive against each other. The Phillies have really backed themselves into a corner, and you'd think they would have learned with Ryan Howard's injury, Chase Utley's failure here with his health of his knees. Again, the decline of Roy Halladay and Cliff Lee, you'd think they would know better. The fans are happy right now. But they're going to pay a big price. They better win it in 2013. I understand moving for that window of opportunity. And as a Phillies fan, there's a part of me that's glad to see them. Hey, they're making that move. But as a fantasy owner and someone who looks at the big picture and someone who rarely ever overvalues prospects has to wonder if they would have traded Hamels for a really good prospect or two, whatever they could get for him, 
if they would trade Shane Victorino for a prospect, center field is another hole as they let Victorino walk. They could get a prospect for him, save a lot of money, and therefore be able to deploy those extra funds where they need it as the season evolves and as each team evolves and injuries hit them. They probably could have re-signed Hamels, right? And they would have gotten the two prospects and still got Hamels back, as with happened with Cliff Lee. They paid him top dollar. They didn't get a discount for signing him early. So if they let him walk and re-signed him like they did with Cliff Lee, you'd also have the two extra prospects to supplement your roster. It's so interesting to look at baseball teams. This is why we love the sport, is this kind of analysis. And hopefully when you listen to us at Baseball HQ, you love the fact that we look at things statistically, and we also try to look at the big picture. It's so important for you as a fantasy manager to do the same thing. You can't handcuff yourself in the auction with so many big names so early that you can't even pull off stars and scrubs because you have so few stars, you don't have enough money left for the scrubs. You have to weigh these numbers out. And I know the Phillies sell out every night, and they're coming up with a big contract negotiation, and maybe economically it'll work out because of that TV contract because the fans are happy. But losing is happening right now in Philadelphia. The fans are starting to feel it. And when that turns around, where now you're losing every year, I've been in Cleveland when they sold out their record number of games, and suddenly the next year couldn't sell a ticket because the stadium's half empty. I've seen it happen, and it's ugly. So hopefully the Phillies will, Ruben Amaro will look to the future and start building for the future somewhat uh, as soon as he can. This was his opportunity, having a young player in his prime as opposed to having an old free agent at the end of the contract. The contracts are not heavily backloaded, so maybe he can trade them a la Miami Marlins and find some things. This is the type of analysis that's really fun. It's why we play the game. It's why we watch the game. It's why we think about the game. And thinking about the game is what we really like to do here at Baseball HQ. I'm Matt Beagle from Market Pulse at BaseballHQ.com. Matt Beagle's columns on a variety of fantasy baseball topics appear regularly at BaseballHQ.com. Now it's Master Notes with BaseballHQ.com publisher Ron Chandler talking this week about an alternative to no trade leagues. I own a fairly valuable player in one of my experts leagues. I drafted him in the ninth round and have no complaints about the value he has been returning. He went for $19 in tout wars and is currently earning exactly $19. In the real game, he signed a huge contract during the offseason, and his team probably feels that they've gotten their money's worth so far. But rotisserie baseball is all about the categories, and so I am now faced with a decision of questionable ethics. This player has virtually no value for me right now because the category he most contributes to will not help my team. And this particular league does not allow trading, so it's not like I could deal him for something I need. Right now, he represents a dead roster spot. I could better use that spot for another starting pitcher or even some bench help for my offense. But no, he's just dead wood. So, I am seriously considering cutting Jonathan Papelbon. Here's the deal. I'm in next to last place in saves with 22. The team in last place didn't draft any closers and has no saves at all, so I've got no downside. Above me, the next closest team has 30 saves, and the team above him has 36. So I'd need 15 additional saves over the next two months just to gain two points. That's essentially the equivalent of adding a full-time closer, and I'm not going to find that in the free agent pool. 
So Papelbon is useless to me. I checked with the league commissioner, and there is no rule against me cutting him. I know some leagues prevent this sort of thing, and frankly, it does pose that ethical dilemma. But I'm not going to tie up a valuable roster spot with dead wood. He'll hit the free agent pool, and the following week, I'm sure there will be a mad dash to claim him. Odds are he will go for several hundred dollars in fab. But that has only marginal benefit to me. What I'd really like to talk about, though, is the whole idea of no-trade leagues. Many public competitions, especially those that are high stakes, just take that option off the table. With so much money involved, they don't want to have to administrate this human element of fantasy play. Everyone has their own perception of value, and league operators don't want to have to play policemen for every perceived lopsided trade or accusation of collusion. You know, I I get that. But to use an old cliché, it's like throwing the baby out with the bathwater. Trading is an important tactical element of the game, and taking it completely away forces ridiculous moves, like me cutting Jonathan Papelbon. Is there no middle ground? I think there is. What if these no-trade leagues were to reinstate limited trades? What if you were allowed to deal one player for one player and only one of these trades per week per team. That would eliminate all the mega deals that where massive amounts of talent are moved at one time. It would force owners to at least try to focus on players of comparable value, because you know, pulling off a Carlos Gonzalez for Ryan Rayburn trade just won't cut it. Yes, there might still need to be some fail-safes put into place, but these trades would be far easier to administrate and at least I could try to get something of value back for Jonathan Papelbon. It becomes an interesting exercise in assessing value when you were forced into the narrow walls of a one-for-one deal. But anything is better than just taking out my handy machete and making that one swift cut. For Baseball HQ Radio, this is Ron Chandler. Ron Chandler writes a weekly column every Friday on BaseballHQ.com. This week, Ron writes about navigating our short attention spans, part two. Ron has a weekly chat every Wednesday morning at 11 Eastern on USAToday.com, and he discusses his columns and other topics in the subscriber forums at BaseballHQ.com. You can get Ron's master notes delivered to your inbox every Friday with the free Fantasy Friday e-newsletter. Just go to BaseballHQ.com and sign up. Of course, Ron also brings his master notes here to Baseball HQ Radio every week. And that's Baseball HQ Radio for the week of July the 28th. Thanks very much for taking the time to download and listen to show number 28 of the 2012 Fantasy Baseball season. Please tell your friends about Baseball HQ Radio and take a second to go to iTunes and rate our show. That's the way people find out about us, don't you know? I also want to thank our guest today, starting with Steve Gardner, the Senior Fantasy Editor at USA Today and usatoday.com. Steve's a great guy and really delivers the goods on our game. I also want to thank our regular guests from BaseballHQ.com, the best fantasy baseball website in the business. Our League Watch analysts were Harold Nichols and Matt Beagle, also our Market Pulse columnist this week. Our Minor League analyst was Rob Gordon. And our Master Notes commentator, BaseballHQ.com publisher, Ron Chandler. We have some really great features this week at BaseballHQ.com. Especially don't want to miss Neil Fitzgerald's article about trading for next year and this year too. Trading is going to be all we're talking about the next week or two. 
Plus, we have all our regular features on playing time, facts and flukes, buyer's guides, and more. I'm Patrick Davitt. My batting buyer's guide appears every Tuesday, and I hope to see you on the BaseballHQ.com subscriber forums. Also, check out Baseball HQ on Facebook and on our Twitter feed at BaseballHQ. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back again next week with Rick Wilton, Dr. HQ, on another edition of the podcast with Fantasy Baseball Intelligence for Winners. It is Baseball HQ Radio. So long. Baseball HQ Radio is a weekly free podcast available through iTunes and other podcast aggregators or directly from BaseballHQ.com where we have an archive of past shows as well. Just look for the HQ Radio microphone logo on the right side of the BaseballHQ.com homepage. Baseball HQ Radio is a production of the USA Today Sports Media Group. The opinions expressed on Baseball HQ Radio are those of the individual speaking and not necessarily those of the USA Today Sports Media Group. The program is produced and edited by Patrick Davitt. <laughs>